0: Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator and sommelier, so stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two with Carlos de Jesus from Amarim. Now we're continuing our journey into the wonderful, sustainable world of cork production. This episode you're going to learn about the species of tree, the percentage of cork trees in Portugal compared to the rest of the southern Iberian Peninsula. You'll learn about some incredible investment that Amarin's done to speed up the time in which the tree bark can, in fact, be used. And talking of which, we will touch on how long is normal to wait for a tree to be ready. By the end of the episode, you're going to know how old these trees tend to get and how to actually harvest the bark. The incredibly long process of turning that bark into a cork stopper. Then, there is a common misconception of how oxygen is transmitted through the cork. So Carlos will do some debunking. And then right at the end, you're going to learn how to check the quality of your cork and to know that it is in good condition. Now, between last week's episode and now, I couldn't help but do some more reading on these magical cork trees. And I discovered the whistler tree. Named for the hundreds of songbirds that land on its branches. So this tree is the largest cork tree in the world and can be found in the Alentejo region of Portugal. So it was planted in 1783. So right now it is 239 years young. On its biggest harvest, it produced enough cork for 100,000 bottles in one year. Put into perspective, an average cork oak tends to be able to produce around 4,000 corks in a year. Literally so impressive. So, to take your wine drinking experience to that even deeper level, I shall allow you to discover the rest of the cork story with Carlos. Let's talk about the tree because we've talked about cork tree what species is it because it's only one species right that can right, produce yes. this cork
1: quercus super l so quercus mm. tells you that it's an oak super comes from suberin, which is the key elastic component that makes cork what it is and l comes from the Swedish uh, the scientists that you know everything is <laughs> okay, <laughs> so yeah. He, yeah. He, he described a lot of this so when when you see a quercus super l that tells you that is the cork oak species. There aren't that many species around the world of trees that you can harvest without killing it, but as I said, this is an evolutionary trick from the species to be able to survive in very harsh circumstances to defend itself, even from fires. Uh, if it burns, and there are, of course, sometimes there are forest fires, but you never see everything go up in flames. Why? Because cork has a very, very high ignition point, it's a protector, and actually if you use that as flooring or insulation, you get not only thermal protection, as you do in a spacecraft nowadays, but you also get vibration and sound insulation. So using a a flooring made out of cork in your apartment makes a lot of sense.
0: Mm, Okay, interesting. You know, there you go, everyone. It's not just about the corks that go in the bottle. Now, if somebody was to come to Portugal to look at these cork forests, is it just in Alentejo and the Algarve, so kind of central and south Portugal, that's where you're going to find... That's where the largest
1: concentrations of cork oaks are located, but the tree is native to the entirety of the country. Actually, if you go to Sardimont, which is the... So, Portugal is like a rectangular, right? So, if you look at the northeast corner of the country, you still have cork oaks there. And you certainly have plenty of cork oaks in other parts of Europe, like I described in North Africa. You're going to have cork oaks in Australia, in California. There's cork oaks all over the place, but uh, they are native to the western Mediterranean basin.
0: But will you find, as an example, it's much hotter down in the south of Portugal than it is in the north? Will the quality of the cork be completely different because of the difference in heat, or not really? No, no, no,
1: no. The trees that we have in the north, because remember that north is more—it's hotter compared to the north. If you're looking at the shores. Mm-hmm. If you go hinterland, uh, it can get really hot on there. anyone visiting the Douro during the harvest season. <laughs> okay. we'll, know, the we'll know what I'm talking about, or, yep. or in the summer, it can get pretty hot in those areas.
0: It's still hot. Okay, fine. It's so there really hot. isn't a difference though, but temperature, even those slight changes or no, being no. closer to having sea breeze, no, it's not going to really make no, a difference. No, no, okay. Not, really, not really. How many hectares are planted in Portugal? all of these oak forests?
1: 732,000 out of 2.2 uh, 2 million hectares that exist around the Western Mediterranean base, which in itself is quite remarkable mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, for our listeners, Portugal, <laughs> there have been here, that Portugal is not a big country. In fact, it's the smallest of the seven countries, the anyway, area it's the smallest of the seven countries where the cork forests are okay. native from. Yet, mm. we have more than a third, 34%, of the total forest. So uh, the only explanation I can come up with for that is the fact that the species has been protected in some shape or form in Portugal since the 1100. So I guess Uh, uh, conservancy laws work.
0: So do you think though now that cork is having a comeback with all that growth? There is going to be more planting of these oak trees in Portugal. Is there room to grow more cork trees? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. There is plenty of room and and Amorin has embarked on a program to not only to incentivize the planting, but also to do that ourselves. Uh, Ah, okay. Cork companies traditionally do not own cork forests. We acquire our cork raw material from thousands of property owners Big producers, small producers, uh, everything in between, that is our traditional source. And will continue to be so. But Mm. we also believe that you need to create competitiveness to that species. So right now, what happens is that you plant the cork oak today. You cannot touch that tree until the tree is about 25 years old. Mm -hmm. First harvest. First harvest does not give you cork quality to do much. A little bit of insulation, that's about it. Okay,
0: just insulation, okay.
1: Yeah. By law, you cannot go back to that tree until nine years at least have gone mm. by. Second harvest still does not give you cork good enough to make natural whole cork stocks, for example. Mm. Another nine years. Wow. So you have to wait off the bat 25 plus 9 plus 9. So 43 years until that asset. Look at that tree as an asset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Matures. It's really not the kind of things that our day and age, you know, are easily accepted. Yet, mm. we are benefiting from those quote-unquote crazy decisions that someone made 1,700 years ago.
0: Yes, of course.
1: So, we need to make sure that paying it forward chain continues. Mm. So, what we have done make a 50 million dollar euro, sorry, investment, developing a concept that without resorting to genetic modification or anything, we didn't want to go down that route. But we know that we can speed up through micro-irrigation of the tree, of the sapling, at the initial growth cycle. If we know exactly when and how to micro-irrigate that sapling, we're going to be able to trick the tree into thinking that there is more resources and they are so abundant that they grow
0: faster. Ah, okay.
1: Then you have to stop because if you keep watering that tree, <laughs> just like us, if we eat too much, we get spongy. <laughs> well, you know, a cork oak will be the same. That self-structure that we want, that we know, that we need, will no longer be there because you're uh-huh. basically feeding too much. So you have to stop. But for a little bit of time to do that, you can anticipate the initial growth cycle, from 25 years to 10 to 12 years.
0: Ah, okay. That's really interesting. So
1: we want to demonstrate that it can be done and we put a lot of money where our mouths are, so $50 million investment to make sure that people realize that this is a tree, this is a species that is worth investing. This is remarkable.
0: It is amazing because, you know, I talk about wine and vines and we're talking about the viticulture side on this podcast very often. Mm -hmm. And I think it just goes to show how technology and the understanding and using wine science can really allow us to get better quality and to know how to stress out the vines and change canopy management or to trellis the vine in a certain way. And what you're doing is effectively now taking this whole industry into the modern day times and using this kind of understanding, this wine, well, tree science actually like, not wine science <laughs> this kind of tree science it is
1: it was a multi-year research project with two right. local universities, so it's not very easy it's a very complex so it's very very yeah. complex the root system you know they have deep roots like the proverbial strong oak needs to have but they also have a system of radial roots very close to the surface so they're very very good at managing any little precipitation that hits uh, the soil so it's a very very complex uh, tree but, uh, mm. but we crack it. So we're not just talking about necessarily expanding those 732,000 hectares. It's very important also to improve the density of the existing hectares. And that's mm. where we go. It's kind of the low-hanging fruit, if you will. That's where we're gonna start with. But at the end of the day, if you are in doubt about which species to plant, you wanna make sure that the native species with all those ecosystem services that we described before, the water, the biodiversity, right et cetera, all of yep. that becomes front and center in people's minds, instead of some, you know, non-native species that may give you a lot of money. Yeah, for a certain period of time, but certainly does not bring everything else yeah. that the cork oak brings. We can literally, figuratively change the landscape of this of this country, and, and as grandiose as they, that may sound, we we believe that it can be done
0: no it's an incredible project and so my question to you is if you're now the typical beginnings of this cork tree you can start taking out its bark at 25 years but you're finding this way that's going to be mm-hmm. almost is half that time but how is there a cut-off point when you can't use the bark anymore that it gets too old or it doesn't produce the more thick spongyish bark around its trunk
1: well just like anything alive we Eventually, you know, die and yeah. before that. But unlike humans, uh, and I don't want to sound too gloomy now, but unlike humans, <laughs> you know, they can last for 250 years. We cannot. They can. Okay. <laughs> they can actually live a lot longer than that. There is an incredibly remarkable oak in, in Catalonia that I've seen. It. It's estimated to be about 400 years old and was never harvested. So when you look at that, it looks more mineral than vegetable. It's an amazing tree. It's a little bit like, you know, in Lord of the Rings when the trees start walking in one of the films, you know. Oh yeah. You look at that yeah. thing and then you expect it at any moment to start moving. It's quite remarkable, but that's again—that's okay. equivalent to finding someone that it's 109 years old. Well, yeah it exists, but it's the exception. <laughs> so, 200, 250 years, yeah, that's that's possible. So
0: that's kind of—is that, is that the norm? That's the average. That's the average yeah, um, length the of
1: life, uh, period of life for for an oak. Because again, you know, there there are oaks. Oaks live live for a long, long time. But of course, there is a period where it's going to max out, and then that curve, you know, starts going down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. So. Let's actually talk about harvesting the cork. How hard is it? Do you can just one person go along and do one tree by themselves? Do they need help? Do, what do they use to take off the bark?
1: <laughs> well, before that, you have to remember this timeline that we were talking about. Okay, mm-hmm. so here you are, you are the owner of this property. <laughs> You waited forty three years for that asset to mature. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly the moment where you ask someone with a very sharp axe. So now okay. you're gonna use that sharp axe on this tree for which I waited forty three years <laughs> to mature. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. as you can imagine, it's a very stressful moment of course. Now
0: Yeah, don't screw it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want you don't want to do that. So it's a very, very skilled job. Uh, they normally work in, in Paris. There's always an older gentleman teaching a younger guy on okay. how to do it, and you're not let on your own until three to four years of learning have gone by.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. so
1: it's physically demanding because it I can imagine. be, you know, 35 degrees. It's the south of Portugal, yes, or Spain, or France, or Italy, uh, in June, July, and August. So it is, it gets hot, so it's physically demanding. But at the same time, it's very, very skilled. So you have to be able to apply very precise amounts of strength. Mm
0: -hmm. Because
1: if you hit it too hard, you're going to damage the trunk of the tree. And And then it's game over. Yeah, Yeah. it's never going to be the same. But if you don't apply enough strength, you're never going to be able to pry the cork out of the tree. Because remember, Mm. we never cut down the trees. You just peel them like a banana or you... You know, it's like you <laughs> shear sheep, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but different parts of the tree will require different amounts of strength applied to that sharp edge. So it's right. constantly adjusting. It's incredibly complex. And
0: you just need to know.
1: You need to know. You feel it. You ask them and they'll tell you that, you know, it's a tree that tells them what to do. I like that. And as poetic as it may sound, like, <laughs> it might be partially yeah. true.
0: No, I, I totally believe in that. Like, I believe that all the roots are talking to each other. I think the trees are alive. Oh, no, I'm going to I'm gonna be called a tree hugger now. But anyway, I'm coming to Portugal and I'm hugging some trees. They deserve to be hugged.
1: No, but you know what? <laughs> I, I think they deserve to be hugged because you know what, right? what they do? Uh, I think, you know, it's important that, of course, we have good wine, in, in, mm-hmm. in good packaging and transportation and evolution conditions and all of that. But when you look at Cork, the Cork industry and what companies like Emory are doing are making viable a story that's incredibly important. And I'll tell you why. What is development or what development ought to be? Well, exactly balancing environmental with social and economic issues. Mm. And when someone said, well, that's, that's a hippie tree-hugging utopia, he <laughs> said, no, there is one place in this world where that balance has been achieved. Harvesting cork pays $150 a day. Mm. And it's easy to find three, four, five people from the same family doing it. And Mm. to make the math easier on everybody, just imagine even 100 euros a day, multiplied by four people, multiplied by three months, what you get is a powerful injection of cash that is going to fix that family to that land. Because, let's face it, all the cities in the world have too many people and all the countryside in the world does not have enough people.
0: Exactly. So this way, you're keeping them there in nature, in the countryside. Absolutely. With... Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But this is what wine does. Wine makes this story viable. Because, again, 70%, percent 7 of the value added created for court still comes from the stoppers. Yeah. So we need this to be able to go out. And when someone says, you know, that's an utopia you know, I can raise my hand and say, sorry, there's one place in this world where this balance has been achieved. And it was not achieved a year ago, two years ago. It was achieved decades and decades ago. So if there is one place in this world where this was possible, hey, maybe there are two places in the world where we can make this happen.
0: Right. This is a story that needs to be told for people to reflect on and understand, one, it's possible and it's being done. Yeah, there you are. That's... You know,
1: just come up with another great reason for someone to buy a bottle of wine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which of the, I don't know is that drink wine, save water. But now we need to campaign. Drink wine, save a tree. Right. At
1: the end of the day, this this amazing example of how it is possible to do what a lot of people think is synotopia. Um, yeah. depends on that. And the UK is one of the most important wine importing markets in the world. So, you know, we, we need people to realize that everywhere and the UK is no exception. Do you know where the largest underground water reservoirs are in Nigerian peninsula?
0: You're going to tell me.
1: Yeah, under the portico forest.
0: That's <laughs> <'Cause>, uh, <laughs> land that has not
1: been disturbed for decades, hundreds of years sometimes.
0: That is, it, it's amazing.
1: This matters. This matters. And, it does.
0: And... No, I mean, you're certainly convincing me. I've always just been like, yeah, okay, cool, sure, screw cap. That's just easy, great to take for a picnic. But you think, to be fair, one, it's actually more fun and more romantic to open up a bottle of wine with an actual cork. But when you actually kind of think, well, what kind of business you're keeping running, what you're doing for the environment, everything that it means, it kind of, I, the next bottle of wine that I am going to open that has a cork in it. I'm gonna feel so much better about. It's gonna feel more authentic, more true. There's gonna be even more of an emotion behind opening that bottle of wine. Right. That's what you're able to bring to my wine experience, which is quite beautiful.
1: Wonderful. It's really rewarding to hear that because for so long, I mean, we kept talking about it and people were saying, oh, just fix the TCA problem. And they were right. We needed obviously to fix that, but but now-
0: There's so much in, more.
1: So much more to that. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, we all consumers. We all have this growing responsibility to know where our pounds or euros or dollars are being spent, and I think in the wine industry also we need to, we need to realize that. And again, CO2 is very important, and mm-hmm. we have amazing stories, and we are sharing that CO2 retention capability with our winery clients. have uh, over you know twenty-two thousand clients at Ameren. so we are sharing wow. that. But That's let's little- not forget that. Even if you fix the CO2 today, tomorrow, we'd still have to fix the sustainability issue.
0: Yeah, and we're is doing this, sure.
1: you know, one, one cork at a time, 13 point something billion times a year, every mm. year. But we're I far from, you know, from done, absolutely. No, There's still course. a lot more ahead of us. Just think of this, you know, you buy a barrel for $1,000 because a barrel adds something to your wine. Okay, it comes from a oak. that's mm-hmm. a good reason. That cork comes from a oak. Uh, Rob, what about that tiny little disc in contact with wine five years, 10 years, 15 years? What happens? What happens to those phenolics? What happens to that oxygen ingress that pork gives to the wine, not from the outside of the bottle, but from inside, from, from that heart, from those 800 million cells, you know? That's where we need to go. That's where we want to know uh, more about. We need to learn a lot more about. And sometimes, some times, and, you know, it just feels like we're just getting started, really.
0: You've just touched on that kind of oxygen exchange. So the permeability of cork is that basically, in its simplest terms, how it works. Because of all those hundreds and hundreds of cells inside that cork, that's how it allows the oxygen in. Is that the story here?
1: For for a long time, we always heard the expression that uh, with cork wine breathes, right? (laughs) Wine breathes like a scuba diver breathes underwater. The story breathes like a snorkeling. we really didn't know. So the first peer review paper on oxygen ingress, um, an oxygen transmission rate, uh, came out a few years ago, and it turns out that cork is impermeable to liquids, but it's also impermeable to gases. Mm-hmm. So the oxygen that comes from a cork comes from within the quark. So it turns out that it breathes like a scuba diver does. It carries that's its own oxygen into the That's fascinating.
0: And, that, and when it's it how... at the...
1: Yeah. No, no, most people think, oh, you know, it just uh, allows oxygen in as well. Yes, that's exactly what I've always
0: thought. Okay, fascinating. If
1: it's in place and the glass bottleneck is, you know, what it's supposed to be and the cork is what it's supposed to be and everything works just fine and when you open one of those bottles, you'll know. You'll know that cork did did its job. The thing is, we're a little bit like the brakes in the car. Do you have any idea who made the brakes in your car? I don't. (laughs) I just want them to work. And when they don't, then I'm going to find out who made the, the, the break. And <laughs> then you want a to know who. like that, you know, every yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. Day in, day out, you know, it's, they're doing his job. Um, uh, and, you know, nobody thinks about it, but it's, um, it's an incredibly important. You know, the choice of a, of a closure, it's truly the winemaker's last decision. The very last decision mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. what kind of closure am I going to put in that bottle? And that perception is now firmly taking hold in people's minds. But it's a relatively recent thing still.
0: I want to ask you, what do you think is the advantage of cork over a screw cap?
1: Well, I think we can list several advantages at several different levels. I mean, clearly you Mm -hmm. have the technical aspects of it. You have the environmental aspects of it. Then you have the marketing aspects um, or the premium, premiumization to be more precise aspects. Mm-hmm. When you go to the technical aspects, I think the key thing here is an incredibly complex cell structure that we've talked about, but it's also about things that can be as mundane as the bottling line. Quark been told by several people that have a great deal of experience in bottling millions and millions of litres of wine per year. Quark figures everything Screwcaps figures more. the oh, really? and this is, Yeah, and this is, um, I think, a reflection of the fact that the application of screwcap is technically very, very demanding. It has to go on glass that is not always necessarily exactly the same from bottle to bottle. Mm. That makes a big difference. Some time, some time ago, there was this um, MW, uh, this Master of Wine, that uh, she wrote a thesis about oxidation in screw cap wine. Okay, yeah. And uh, she took a lot of flack from it. But the fact is that it's a very, very interesting piece of research because traditionally what's been associated with uh, screw-caps was reduction. So the, the absence of oxygen, too little oxygen that only do one being reduced. Well, what this um, interesting study demonstrates is that actually it's the opposite. It's oxidation that is far more prevalent. Because the. Really? We have to remember the screw cap, the metal itself is not the closure. That's a delivery mechanism to a layer of a plastic piece that is actually what keeps the wine inside and, um, and the oxygen outside. So mm. it, it was a bit of a. a <laughs> Uh, to be honest with you, rattle a few a few gauges because people wouldn't I don't think they were expecting that. The tolerance for the application is so small, so small, talk about only fractions of millimeter possible that it's very easy to um to make a mistake, it's very easy for the metal to be dented. So that mm-hmm. that came across as as a surprise. Cork, on the other hand and the oh, sorry, the opposite end of that spectrum, you have the plastic sockers and too much oxygen. So quark yeah. sits on that happy medium. And and the fact that, you know even uh, even the most stringent critics of Cork fell in love with wine opening a bottle that had a cork in it. So I think there's a lot going into that. In terms of sustainability, so if there was a, a football match, it would be 10-0. Right? <laughs> in terms of marketing also aspects, in terms of premiumization, I think it's very important that people realize that on average in the US, in France, in China, in the UK, wines that are closed with... Cork stopper fetch a high price on average, so there's a premium associated mm-hmm. with yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And, and that reflects that that's good for the people that are selling the wine, that's good for the people that are making the wine, and of course, it's good for the people buying and drinking that wine because that quality association is, is incredibly strong. And it didn't start out of thin air, it started out of hundreds of years of experience of putting together that almost holy trinity of glass wine and cork together. They really, really work well. In fact, it works so well that hundreds of years later, its launching, it's still used over 13 billion times a year by consumers all around the world. So I think that's a pretty good testament to the ability of Cork to allow that wine to evolve, to protect that wine. And if you want to know what I think it's a sweet irony, mm-hmm. Cork is impermeable to gas and to liquid. And since we have defeated TCA, since they have won this war against TCA, that does not mean that TCA has disappeared. On the contrary, TCA has many, many sources. Cork is one vector for TCA, but there are many others, from carbon to wood to water to the pumps in the wine. There's plenty of sources of uh, what is called environmental TCA. So TCA that is not related to cork, but it's out there in the winery or in, in the processes of, of making and transporting wine. And the irony is that with TCA defeated in cork, but still present outside of the bottle, Mm -hmm. cork is now fast becoming the best defense against that environmental TCA, because that molecule, the tricorder, will not travel through the cork cell structure. So I think if you want to... How interesting. uh, It it is. It is quite remarkable. But Mm. but that's where we are today.
0: Well... So imagine you've just stated all these different reasons why a winemaker may choose to go with natural cork. So with you guys, Amarim, do you offer different types of corks for wineries?
1: Absolutely. I think anyone thinking that one single type of cork will fit every single style of wine, every single type of grape varietal, every single type of price point of wine evolution, it's just getting himself or herself. Of course, we wish the world was that easy and that simple. It, <laughs>
0: it would make life simpler. We could drink more <laughs> yeah, coffee, sit down and put our feet exactly. up.
1: Exactly. <laughs> One size fits all. How wonderful would that be, right? Or How boring will that be? But that will take us in a different direction. I think, to answer your question, uh, yes, absolutely. We do have a type of cork for every conceivable price point that you can think of, every type okay. of wine, every type of terroir, it requires different analogical decisions, like we were talking earlier on, that's that's the very last analogical decision that the wine makes. Mm-hmm. So um, we have to be mindful of that. And when you look at the price point, of course, um, themselves, you also see um, huge variety. It can be anything from five and a half six cents all the way to four dollars so that yes absolutely but that also reflects the myriad of price points uh, and wine styles that you have so we we do what we're doing is basically answering the demands from the wine industry to have different uh, as as you say in english different horses for different courses
0: Brilliant saying. (laughs) Now, okay, so I love that. I didn't even think about the different prices of a cork. And actually, I want to bring it back slightly when we were talking about how difficult it is to actually get the bark off of the tree. Once they've got the bark off of the tree, presumably they're brought off in big sheets. How does that actually turn into a cylinder cork?
1: Well, there are many, many steps between, you know, trying that plank, of cork from from the cork coke all the way to opening mm-hmm. the bottle that has a cork stopper in it. There are dozens and dozens of steps, um, dozens of preventative and curative measures against TCA. It's really really quite complex. I mean I, I I wish we could show some of those steps. Mm. But essentially once you harvest the bark from from the tree, you need to stabilize, you need to season that cork for six to nine months. After okay. that it's going to be boiled. Stainless steel, very large stainless steel fats where the, the cork is spoiled. Not only to create some some cleaning of it. I mean, remember these have been outside for six to nine months, so you need to get rid of the cobwebs and all of that. But also <laughs> to start dealing with the volatiles and and also to start flattening that cell structure a little bit more. So the next step is easy to do, and the next step is to grab. Each one of these millions and millions of flags of core to give you an idea these units are as big as 11 football fields. And we have oh three of those store, to store these millions and millions of core flags. And each one of them oh, wow. has to be analyzed and a decision has to be made about what you can or what you should extract from that line. Only 30% of this massive quantity of ore will ever see a bottom line. As a, as a natural natural mm. stop. Mm-hmm. But they create about seventy percent seven zero of the value that it created for core. So it's quite yeah. quite a difficult task. Traditionally it has been done by humans, very experienced humans, and we still do that. But more and more we are we are inserting artificial intelligence, we're inserting a lot of, course, of technology, okay. mm-hmm. very powerful algorithms to get this process even more fine tuned. And by then 30% of this quantity, of course, the remaining 70% quantity will be used for anything from flooring to aerospace material to uh, construction to maritime construction, civil construction, United, footwear, mm-hmm. etc. But the thirty percent that we are here concerned about will be uh, shipped to the plants uh, up here in the north, where they will be reanalyzed again. And now the decision is going to mm-hmm. be made about is this going to produce Yes, this plank is going to produce a cork, but how will the cork be produced? So that's a decision that is made prior to the punching operation, where uh, strips of cork, so by now this plank is made into strips of cork that are going to be punched either manually or electronically by uh, robots. So once you punch that, you're going to have to polish it, then you're going to have to scan it through um, digital. Imagery that it's, it's created, you, you recreate an image of this cork digitally, and then the computer is going to analyze that, compare it to a predefined memory pad that's inside the computer, and making a decision about how long that cork can last inside the bottle. I'm only halfway wow. through. <laughs> oh
0: my god, okay, yeah, okay, okay.
1: So, uh, and, okay. and then you're going to have to analyze the inside of that cork. Because these uh, digital images do the outside, which is great. The inside, we're okay. going to have to see what's, what's in there. Is it hollow? There is a big um, gallery, for example, inside that cork that will render the, the corking unusable because when you compress it at the bottom line, it will release too much oxygen into the bottom, for example. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to get a very, very accurate image of what's on the inside of the cork and on the outside of the And and it goes on and on and on and on until you start using very, very sophisticated, even more sophisticated technology than what you do now. Supercritical fluid technology for the granules, thermal desorption for the natural whole cork stoppers, and detect to be able to spot half a nanogram per liter uh, in seconds like we discussed before. Uh, All of Mm -hmm. this creates an incredible trail of high-end technology but then you're still going to have to wash to clean this cork to coat it to brand it and all of this happens a lot closer to the bottom moment because of course once you brand a cork with chateau or whatever you have to go to chateau or mm-hmm. wherever so we want to make sure that this happens as close as possible to the moment of bottom for quality reasons but also for stock management reasons and then the cork is just starting its journey because then it can be another 5, 10, 50 years, 100 years, uh, you name it. So, mm. since you planted that oak, you know, it should be at least 43 years before, but maybe it's 100 years before until that bottle is open. Gosh, we been talking about oak well over a century and a half
0: yeah that's crazy isn't it when you open up your eyes to literally from the moment that tree is ready to be harvested i mean in short term you just went into a really incredible detailed explanation and i imagine that wasn't detailed even at all, Not at but, at basically.
1: all detailed explanation
0: <laughs> but basically slab a bark press it for a bit sterilize it classify it Wash it a bit, do a few checks, put the branding on, bish bash bosh. 100 to 200 years later, that cork could still be <laughs> in somebody's bottle. And now, now perhaps
1: they don't sound so expensive when I tell you how much a cork is worth.
0: That is true. That, but I, it's, it's amazing. It's, you've certainly opened up my eyes. And to finish off, how would somebody check that their cork is in good condition when it comes out of the bottle what would you say they should look for
1: well one of one telltale aspect of how well that that relationship between that cork that wine and that bottle developed over the previous x years is to see especially when it's a red wine to see where is that line that imprint of the wine on the cork is it should be it, mm-hmm. as close to the extremity of the cork as possible. As time goes by, there might be a little bit of, of advancing of this, uh, again, in case of, of red wine, this, it's really perceptive, this line where the wine uh, touches. It's a little bit like like the high tide mark uh, on, on yes, the yes Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. So you want, you want to make sure that it's not way too up on that cork. So that would be a first, first sign. TCA tradition, people would need to smell the corks. I don't think that that today, you know, it's a nice ritual, but it's not technically that relevant anymore as it was uh, as it was years years back. So those will be the two initial telltale signs. But even before you remove the cork from the bottle, there is something that needs to be um, assessed. Also, I told you a while ago that you have to brand the cork. Well, branding the cork here needs mm-hmm. to bring the the name. The name of the chateau or a code or whatever needs to go into that that's a decision of the owner of that brand obviously but yeah. you can brand corks either by heat or by ink <laughs> by heat can be laser or it can be an actual live fire heating up a, a plate with a brand in it but if you use mm-hmm. ink it's faster it's cheaper but you cannot brand the extremities of the cork so every time you pull that capsule out of the bottle and you see a harvest year, a Millisium year, two thousand seventeen, for example. That tells yeah. you that the winemaker thought his or her wine was good enough to spend a little bit more and make sure that the core got branded with fire. And this means oh,
0: interesting that okay. you know
1: you probably are in for a good for a good tree. Because you cannot brand okay. extremities within, right? Because mm. you know there's a fifty-fifty chance that the wrong start will go in there. You want to make sure that it's, that both extremities of the cork are blended with, with fire. So um, whatever side goes in doesn't matter, and Aha. this is a good indicator of what to expect, and that's good. When you see those numbers, that information printed at the end of that cork before you even pull it out of the bottom, it's a good sign.
0: Okay, I love that. Perfect. We all now know what to expect when we get our next bottle of wine closed with natural cork. So, Carlos, I think, I think we're done. I think you have taken us through the story from almost planting of that tree all the way through to taking a bottle of wine that might be centuries old. No. So thank you. I really appreciate you. My, pleasure. I, my eyes are fully opened and thank I'm you. very, very excited now to open up my next bottle of wine with a bottle opener. I just think so much more. It's not just even about the liquid or the juice. Now I can actually think even in the packaging. So I, I love it. I love the story and the added romance. Wonderful. Speak to you soon. (laughs) Take care of yourself. Bye. That's it for our episodes on cork. I hope you feel enlightened and now enchanted by this little cylinder of cork the next time you pop a bottle. Let me know, what did you think of these episodes? Email me at yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk and it's yanina spelt with a J or direct message me on Instagram at eatsleep underscore wine repeat. And now, to finish off with a wine quote this is from josep roca the sommelier at el cella the can roca and he said wine is life life bottled and life spread it's an intellectual reflection a dialogue between man and nature cork is probably the most magical element it's an organic expansive element It's a guardian of treasures and the first confidant of what's inside. Cork symbolizes naturalness and life expanded in order to close and ensure closure of the messages hidden inside the bottle. I love that. I mean, how is that for reflecting on a bottle of wine? Oh my gosh. I literally couldn't feel more entwined with nature right now inspired by its unbelievable beauty and resourcefulness okay enough of the emotions (laughs) i'm done i'm done i promise um wishing you all a stress-free week take that nature walk and of course don't forget to share this podcast with your wine-loving friends take a screenshot put it on your socials don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and if you want to support this podcast's growth and the work that I'm doing I'll be so grateful if you could take that moment to leave a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify next week I'm releasing part two of the deep dive into fortified wine so this is an episode for all wine lovers but certainly designed to help out my wine friends taking their WSET diploma exams if you've missed part one It's episode 113, but prepare yourself for Madeira and Port next Monday. And until then, cheers to you.